the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, this is Rick Probst from Faith Talk Atlanta and Faith Talk Live. Dan Ratcliffe and myself were uh, privileged and proud to be a part of this year's Women in Ministry. Uh, This year, Marilyn Chadwick, co-founder and speaker of Women Under Construction, spoke, and boy, did she knock it out of the park. Marilyn and her husband, David, have served Forest Hill Church in Charlotte, where David is the head pastor for 39 years. At the end of Marilyn's amazing message, I'll let you in on who will be next year's keynote speaker at Women in Ministry 2020. Meanwhile, it's Marilyn Chadwick, co-founder and speaker of Women Under Construction at Women in Ministry 2019. Never say never to God. Let me hear you say that again. Never say never to God. Okay, so I did say I will never be a Christian. This was in college. And then I did. I I went home um, to my family's church. I was at the University of Georgia. I'm a Southern girl. Can you tell? I speak speak y'all. So um, let me just back up and say that at age 15, I was at Tucker High School just a few miles down the road. And back in the day, in the 60s and 70s, because I'm pretty old, it was social suicide. In my high school, if you were a strong Christian... So I said, "Mm mm-mm, I'm not going to do that. And I walked away. I remember the day I invited God out of my life. Now, that's chilling, isn't it? I just said, I don't want any part of this. It is not going to go well for me if I stick with this God stuff. So I walked away. Debbie, you know my story a little bit. And by the time I got to college at the University of Georgia, I had stopped believing in God altogether. You know, God's a gentleman. And when you invite him out, what does he do? He leaves. He's a gentleman, but he didn't really leave. He just let me think I was running the show. And so I just was adamant that I would never be a Christian. In my sorority, they always had me on their hit list. Every campus crusade, every young life, every campus ministry wanted to take me out to lunch. And after a little while, I would say to them, I know where you're going with this, and thank you, but I'm not interested. So somewhere along the way in my college years, a very wise friend put a book in my hands. And the book was called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, right? Some of you know that book. I got to chapter 8. I was reading it by the neighborhood swimming pool one summer while I was in college. And I still have the book. And it's got waves on the bottom of it because I set it on my wet bathing suit. And there by the neighborhood swimming pool in 1976, August the 8th, I got to chapter 8. And you go and read the book, you'll find out what it was that nailed me. It was pride. And when I got to chapter 8, I went, oh, no. It was not good news for me, folks. I went, oh, no. This guy is right. Remember, C.S. Lewis had been an atheist himself. This guy's right. I'm on the wrong side. And I have been a student of the wrong one. I mean, that meant the devil. And plus, I've been like his star pupil. It was chilling to me. And so I gave my entire life, everything I knew of myself, to everything I knew of God at that point, which wasn't a whole lot. And I said, I am yours. And y'all, I never looked back. I never looked back. And I was on a track. I wanted to be a big corporate whiz-bang, which is fine to be a corporate whiz-bang. I just wanted to be a corporate whiz-bang without Jesus. 
And so I was on my own track. I had my own dreams. And then God was, like I said, a gentleman, let me have my own way. But when I came back to him, he took me very seriously. So even though I had gone to church with my family one Sunday while in college and said these very words, as I watched the minister up there, I cannot imagine a bigger waste. Is this better, ladies? All right. We can now preach because I'm telling you what, when you've been married to a minister for 41 years, you learn how to preach, right? Just by osmosis, just by sleeping next to him, all that. By the way, our anniversary was yesterday. Yep. And I was teasing with the guys on the radio saying, yes, I left him yesterday because I had to come here and we're going to go out to dinner tonight. But the way it came out was kind of funny. Yes, we celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary yesterday and I left him. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, um, I can't remember, I can't imagine a bigger waste of a person's time and talent and energy than being a preacher. That was what I said to myself, listening to the preacher, except being a preacher's wife. Okay. And it was just a year later that that book was in my hands and I was sitting by the neighborhood pool, reading the book, getting saved right there by the neighborhood pool. And then almost a year later, I met my husband, David on a blind date. And what the person that set us up told me is that he was a pro baseball player. And that sounded pretty good, right? So silly me, I said, yes. And what she failed to realize is that he was not a pro baseball player. He had actually played pro basketball in Europe for a few years. He went to the University of North Carolina and played basketball for Dean Smith. But since I went to Georgia, I didn't speak basketball. What did I speak? Football, right? So he had not been a pro baseball player. He was a former pro basketball player. She neglected to tell me he was in seminary studying to be a minister. And the problem was, when I opened the door, he was very tall and very cute. And he's 6'8", and um, it was kind of like love at first sight. I couldn't help myself. And so uh, he and I both, he got the former atheist, you know, and his friends were like, are you sure you want to date her? She doesn't seem very saved, because I was was still kind of rough around the edges and threw out a bad word now and then, and, you know, you know. But um, he was patient with me. He always said he saw my heart. And I didn't need to see his heart because I thought he was pretty cute. So um, we dated very, very quickly. I mean, he um, proposed within, unofficially within about three weeks. And then our official engagement was four months after we met. And then we got married nine months to the day after we met. And David always says, I broke every rule I tell people when I'm counseling, like give it the test of time and all that. But I think it worked, ladies, don't you? After 41 years... So a little bit more about my history, because I want to tell you first that I can't imagine any place on earth I'd rather be today, this minute than here, because you are amazing and you're beautiful. And I don't think there's anything more beautiful on earth. And I would never, never want to be with anybody other than my family, except women in ministry. Isn't there something about, there is something special about women who are not only following Jesus, but are passionate about helping others to follow him. I can't explain it, but I've traveled on six continents and I've seen women serving God in places that would just make you cry. Post-genocide survivors in Rwanda and war victims in the Sudan and people that were untouchable in India that are now heads up, heading up ministries. And wherever I go, I'm amazed at the beauty and the bravery 
of what I've grown to call the women of valor. So I'm excited to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. And I hope that when we all walk away today, we are going to be a little bit different. Because, lady, life is too short. Ladies, life is too short. Our lives are too busy to spend time coming to something and not walk away different, right? So if you want to walk away a little different today, because I do, raise your hand. You want to walk away changed women? Okay, look out, world, because if you get a bunch of ladies together in the same room and they love Jesus, and we've already talked about how we're going to pray for each other, right? Buckle your seatbelts, world, because there, I think, is no stronger force on the earth than praying women. I really do. I believe that with all my heart. In fact, if you travel to some places in Africa, and this is a compliment to all of you, because I think motherhood is awesome, but they they call women mothers, whether they're married, single, young, or old, because they believe women have such impact on their communities. And what they encourage us to do over there when we're traveling is, you love your own children, and then you love other children like they're your own. And so women, we got some motherhood in us, don't we? Whether we have biological children or not. And so God is just waiting for us to pour that love out on everybody around him. Motherhood, real quickly, came very difficult for me. Um, I have 96 months in my infertility journey over the years. I do have three children out of the deal. But think about that, 96 months filled with surgeries and treatments and lots of prayer and three miracles. And so those three children are now all married And we have five grandchildren and one new one on the way we just found out about. So motherhood, even though I told you I was going to be a corporate whiz-bang, I was for a while. But then when I met David, I kind of migrated into the counseling and ministry field. And then when motherhood hit, I kind of like said, this is going to get most of my energy for a while. But I never set the ministry aside. Because ladies, we're ministers, aren't we? I mean, even if it's with our own family, right? You are calling forth the destinies in the people around you. I want you to hold that thought till later. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But one of the things I think we do as women is we call forth destinies. And our guys up here that are so great. Is it Dan and Rick? Is that right? Did I get it right? Unbelievable. I had a little interview with them earlier, and they are so fine. But what did they say about women? Like earth-shaking? Isn't that what he called us? Isn't that what they called us? We are earth-shakers. So I really do believe that women deep down inside, all women, long to be world-changers. Did I get an amen on that one? Don't you, though? And on some level, God gave us a little bit of control inside, right? kind of like to control things. Maybe you do too. I know my daughter did, but I think on some level, we really believe we can change the world. That's what's so awesome about women. We really believe we can do it. So my clue, well, first of all, let me just say this. I think women are life givers biologically, but also in other ways. And I think courageous women that I've met all over the world, starting in my own neighborhood, have discovered a very important truth. I'm going to see if this resonates with you. We find our life when we give it away. Isn't that weird? It's God's odd economy. We find our life. Because I was on the other side. Remember, I was from the dark side, right? And my whole thing was about achieve, you know, accomplish, conquer, you know, be number one. And it was all about me. And, and y'all, becoming a believer in Jesus and giving life away to others is so much better than that. I think it's what he made us to do. So I think women really do believe we can change the world. We find our lives when we give it away. And I should have had a clue about that the very first Christmas morning that I can remember in great detail. I was six years old because my gifts that Christmas should have clued me in 
to some of these truths about women. Because let me tell you what happened when I opened the box. The first gift, and I'll never forget it, was love at first sight, was a baby doll called Baby Kitten. Now, you guys are not old enough, most of you, to remember that. But if you remember the Madame Alexander dolls back in the 60s, raise your hand. I bet a grandmama out here remembers that. And this, you can still get Baby Kitten today. Vintage collectors still love her. Because let me tell you what she looked like. She had soft, blonde hair, blue eyes, really amazing vinyl skin that was kind of new for that era. Then a soft body. And I picked that baby doll up, and I don't think I put her down for a year. She was mine. She was like a real baby. She was about the size of a real baby. So I carried her and loved her. Oh, love at first sight. The second gift was a real Mattel Winchester rifle with sharp shooting caps and bullets. Now, I don't mean real bullets. You know, it was not the 22, but it was the toy rifle. But it's the only one that Mattel would give the real Winchester name to. So I had my baby doll on the one arm and I had the Winchester rifle on the other one. To top off the look, I convinced my parents that I needed a pair of black high-top PF flyers. And we did not wear, the girls did not wear high tops back then. The little girl shoes were the little low-cut, boring white. And I convinced my parents to get their tomboy daughter a pair of high-top PF flyers. So you can imagine me, six years old, high-top PF flyers, Winchester rifle, baby kitten, and I was set to go. And something in me just felt right about the loving and the nurturing and the caring for that baby doll. But I would kill anybody that would hurt her, right? You know, I still felt that way when my babies were born. You touch this baby and you're going to have to go over me. So I think I knew even back then that God made us as women, not only to be nurturers, which is a beautiful life-giving gift, but he also wove some warrior into us, ladies. The world sometimes forgot that, especially on our side of the globe. We have forgotten sometimes that women were given a fair dose of warrior because we need it, don't we? So from the beginning, I guess I started seeing that clue of part nurturer, part warrior. And as I came back to the Lord and then met David and then started studying God's word, which kind of wrecks you, doesn't it? I started seeing life from the other side. I was like, whoa, this book that I had thought was a dead book all my atheist years when I met Jesus, all of a sudden, boing, it came alive. Because the Holy Spirit had come to live inside me. And what does the Bible tell us? That the Holy Spirit's our interpreter, right? And so this stuff was making sense to me, like right and left. Um, Let me just tell you that from the beginning, I really think God ordained us to be nurturers and warriors. Because go back to Genesis 2. And it's one of the first descriptions we really have of what a woman was built by God to be like. We know that that God said about this, about Adam. It's not good for man to be what? Okay, so I will make a helper suitable for him, which people, scholars, breezed past that for so many years, at least on our side of the globe. And they underestimated the power of that word. In fact, in the English language, helper can mean anything from, you know, a domestic servant to, um, you know, somebody that serves your food. I mean, there are just lots of terms that use the word helper that don't weigh in as heavily as I think God wanted them to. The Greek, I mean, the Hebrew word, because the Bible in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for helper is ezer, E-Z-E-R. Of the 20-ish times it's used in the Bible, 
18 of those are used to talk about God as the helper of his people. Now, how strong is that? It is a strong term. I mean, it's like a rock of support. It's strength. It's power. The woman is called helper too. So she's an easer. And as my husband always says, it's like God put her with the man. They complete each other. But there's a certain element of warrior in that word easer. And David always calls me his advanced warning system. You know, (laughs) he says, sometimes you see things I don't see. And sometimes you read things I don't read sometimes in people. Any of you like that? You just kind of, we just kind of have a built-in something, don't we? And God put it there. So you see the clue in Genesis 2. And then we're going to fast forward to Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman with whom I have a very love-hate relationship. Does anybody read Proverbs 31 about the Proverbs 31 woman and just get tired, right? Okay, well, I want to take that burden off your shoulders. One of the ways I want you to walk away different today is I want you to start to love this woman. Okay, because we've always called her in the English Bibles, what, the virtuous woman, the woman of excellence, and then there's this to-do list that kills us. Well, first of all, I don't think that the biblical author ever meant that to be a whole one woman. I think it's a composite of all of us at different ages and stages, and it's a beautiful thing. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm going to make you like her again, but I'm a, I'm a little student type, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And so when I study my Bible, I have my big fat Greek Hebrew Bible up here, but I also look at all the digital versions. And so I like to go to multiple versions. And when I got to the Orthodox Jewish version of Proverbs 31:10, I discovered that the word for virtuous woman or the two Hebrew words were eshet, which means woman or female, I guess woman is better, and Heil, C-H-A-Y-I-L, Eshet Heil. You know what Heil is? Heil is the word for valor. So you've got woman of valor. That's the way it is in the Orthodox Jewish Bible. If you get online and Google woman of valor, even today, there are women of valor conferences all over Israel, all over the Middle East. If you talk to a Jew that still practices They will tell you that every night before Shabbat, the eve of Shabbat, the men, the husbands, and the family will sing, if they're lucky, or speak Proverbs 31.10 and the following verses to the woman of the family. They honor the woman of valor. And I was perplexed. I'm like, how did we lose that term? And I have a a friend who happens to be actually one of the foremost biblical scholars in the Middle East. And I I called Dr. Kashu and I said, Hikmat, um, why are we not seeing woman of valor in our English Bibles very often? And he said, well, Marilyn, he said, it's really popular over here. And we really appreciate the woman of valor. And maybe it's because in our part of the world, we are a people who have always known that we were at war of some sort or another, right? We have known we were at war. Have we forgotten over here? Maybe that we're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle, ladies, even if we're not in a physical war, And I was out for my little prayer walk the other day, and I heard these words. I think I want you to remember them because I think they were from God, I think. And it was like something that went like this. In case you're wondering, we are in a war, and you're in it. We are in a war, and you're in it, especially if you're a Christian and especially, especially if you're in ministry. We're in a war, and you're in it. The question is, are you going to win it? Doesn't that sound like the Lord, kind of? I mean, you don't have to, it's not thus saith the Lord, but it was certainly a nice thought to get me through the rest of my walk because I thought, oh, 
well, I would rather win than lose. Given the choice in war, wouldn't you rather win than lose? And I come from a family where about half the people were farmers. Educated farm people are really cool. You'll like them if you knew my family. The other half were military. And my daddy, my sweet little 91-year-old daddy, who's still taking care of my mama at home, she's an invalid, was, is one of the very few remaining World War II submarine veterans. So we got a lot of war stories growing up. And he's big about winning war, right? Because it was the difference in freedom and not freedom for his generation. But he always said that the best way to avoid a war is to prepare for it. I don't really like to fight battles so much. Do you? But if I'm going to have to fight them, I'd really rather win than lose. And if we can be prepared, that's another way I want you to walk out of this room differently today. Saying to yourself, I'm in a war. I'm already in it. The question is, am I going to win it? Better chance to win it if I'm prepared. And if I'm really well prepared, I might even win before the battle comes my way. Think about how many times in the battle God went before the people. And he won the whole thing before they ever even got on the scene. All right, so let's scoot back to talk about our Women of Valor a little bit because she is really the woman I want to share with you today. Um, When I ask my dad or other soldiers what valor is, I mean, they kind of know, right? They know it's bravery. If you have served in the military, if you're married to somebody that has served in the military, raise your hand in this room. Okay, a lot of hands here. What about any first responders? Okay, police officers, you know. Um. We kind of know valor when we see it, don't we? We may not be able to define it, but you know courage and valor of that sort when you see it. Um, But in the biblical language, that word for valor, I'm going to unpack it for you a little bit because it is strong, stronger than the English. It means warrior, army, strength, honor. It can even mean wealth. It's the God of angel armies when it's talking about the God of angel armies, the word is hayo. Same, used, same word used in Proverbs 31 for our good old Proverbs 31 woman. Woman of valor. It's the same word. Um, valor is the same word used in the Old Testament. When you t- see it's talking about King David and his mighty men of valor. Remember Gideon when the angel said to him, rise up, O man of valor. So our Proverbs 31 sweetheart is in good company, isn't she? And the Bible, y'all, go back and read your Bible now that you know this word valor. The Bible is filled with stories of women who changed their world. It is filled. That's one of the reasons I had to write Woman of Valor. When I started discovering all this, and then plus all the women that I've met in all different places in the world, I had to write about them. Because I want the world to know that we are women of valor and that that's a beautiful thing. There is nothing, in my opinion, more beautiful than a woman being brave. And we are brave because of love, right? It's love that makes us brave. You know, women and men are a little different. Has anybody figured that out? You know, I love brave men. I love brave women. And, you know, we kind of come at it from two different angles. But that mama bear thing is really, in my opinion, what makes me brave. When I'm brave, I don't care if somebody kills me. But if they come after my babies, you know, look out. So I want to tell you about a woman in the Bible that kind of is like one of my consummate women of valor examples. Who here loves the character in the Bible in the book of Judges called Deborah? Deborah, is anybody here named Deborah today? Do we have a Deborah in the room? Well, of course my Debbie, raise your hand again. She's my old friend. I mean, we've known each other. We knew each other, what, 35 years ago? Yeah. When David had dark hair. That's right. My husband's completely white-headed now. <laughs> See, you know I'm telling the truth. We've been married... 
and doing ministry for a long time. I was probably still a little rough around the edges when you knew me. Because you know what happened? I got saved, and then I met David, and then I was a preacher's wife a year later. And so think about that. I'm in a church, and I don't even know where the difference between John and 1 John, you know? And I had a lot to learn, right? A lot. And I, and I remember they interviewed us, and they were interviewing me, and I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. I said, I, you know, I did not ever see myself as a minister's wife. I don't play the piano. I don't sing in the choir. But I do love this man, and I'll do everything I can to help support him. And they loved me. I don't know what it was, but they, they loved me. So we got, we got the job, right? Okay, so Deborah, let's, let's really appreciate her because she's astounding. She is the only female judge in the whole Bible. But do you know that she is actually the first judge to also be a what? Anybody know? A prophet. A prophet. She was double, she was bivocational. She was prophet and judge. Prophet and judge. The second one, does anybody know? There are only two. Of all the judges, there were only two called prophet and judge. Anybody know the second one? Bible scholars out there. Samuel. We'll hear about him in a minute. But Deborah was the first. Now, if you read your Bible and you know what was happening to Israel at that time, they were in trouble, trouble, trouble. They had been beaten down and oppressed by the cruel Canaanites for 20 years when Deborah was on the scene. She used to hold court under a palm tree. They called it the tree of Deborah. I guess like the first Judge Judy. But people, people would come to her, you know, with their problems, and she would give the rulings and tell them what to do. I can't imagine what a wonderful woman she must have been. We don't know if she had biological children, but she knew she was a mama because she really um, looked out for Israel. I mean, she was, you know, she was really upset that the, the, the Israelites had gotten so beaten down. And part of the reason, friends, that they were so beaten down as they had followed the ways of the Canaanites. That never does well for God's people, does it? I think we're kind of there today, don't you, a little bit? And when you start following the customs and the ways and the gods of the people that are around you, well, it naturally happens. The Canaanites started oppressing them. And it was so bad in this Judges 4 and 5, go back and read the story, that it says basically all village life had stopped. And that's because the crime was so bad. They were afraid to go out. Guess what else had happened? There were no more warriors. So they were very much at risk by the Canaanites and everybody else until, until Deborah said this, there were no warriors in Israel. This is Judges 5, 7. There were no warriors in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, until I, Deborah, arose, arose to be a mother in Israel. Don't you love that? The Hebrew word for arose, I won't tell you a whole lot about it, except to say it is more than just standing to her feet. It is like it is time for us to go to war. Enough is enough. And when this mama bear had had it, she stood up and said, we got to do something, people. Mama bear had had enough. We got to do something. So she called a young man named Barak to lead Israel and what was left of their little ragtag army to go to war. So she called Barak, and she said to him, Barak, rise up. Is that word again. Rise up. This is the day the Lord has given your enemies into your hands. The Lord has already gone ahead of you. And what did he say? Does anybody know? <laughs> he said, well, I'll go, but only if you go with me. Yeah. Now, he was not a coward. I want you to be very sympathetic to him. There were no soldiers. There were very little in the way of weapons. And he knew this woman heard from God. 
He was certain of that. So the best scholars that I found didn't say something like, well, this was God's plan B. He really wanted the man. No, he really wanted Deborah. And, and, and Barak knew that Deborah was a prophet and a judge and hearing from God. So he said, I want you to go with me because I want you to keep hearing from God. Isn't that a beautiful example of them working together? She called forth his destiny. I mean, she appreciated his strength as a leader and the leader in battle. And he appreciated her ability to be, I think, an easer, like an advanced warning system. So she said, okay, I'll go with you. Now, let me just tell you this. Victory looked impossible. Barak and his men were so outnumbered by this cruel army. The Bible tells us they had 900 chariots. Barak and his little ragtag army were not expected to win. But what did Deborah say to him? But go, this is the day. God's gone before you. And when he stepped out in faith, now remember that, he stepped out in faith. Say in faith. Because it wasn't by sight. Anything he saw did not look promising. When he stepped out in faith and led the charge, the text tells us that the Lord... The Lord routed all the chariots and the army by the sword until not a man was left. And you read further in that story. It's, it's worth, you could spend a whole morning quiet time in it, but it, it even says that the angels went to battle on their behalf. How awesome is that? But it took Deborah to give him that word from the Lord. The victory was legendary. Israel was finally free. It tells them they had 40 years of rest after that because Deborah, a mother to Israel, rose up. And afterwards, I love it because she honored all the warriors. And first of all, you got to read the text, Judges 5. She calls out all the tribes that were too chicken to go. I just love it. Isn't that like a mother? You didn't go. Why didn't you go? And you didn't go. Where were you? You were watching the sheep. You know, why didn't you jump in? And then she goes through and lists all the tribes that went into battle. And here's what she said, like a good mom. She said this. She said, my heart is with Israel's princes or leaders with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. Judges 5, 9. With the willing volunteers. Anybody in here have to get volunteers to help you with your ministry? Yeah. And if it's not official volunteers, it's just people that you have to rope into whatever it is that you're doing. We need them, don't we? We need, I, my heart, my, like Deborah, my heart is with the willing volunteers in whatever God calls us to do. Because I'm looking at this room and all of your beautiful faces, and I bet y'all are doing some amazing ministries. And some of them are quiet, and others are probably a little more public. But it's all the same stuff, isn't it? We all use whatever gift God has put in us to share his grace with other people, and it's what various forms. It's what 1 Peter 4.10 tells us. Okay, so Eshet Heil. Let's go back as we're kind of wrapping up the last leg of our journey here. Eshet Heil. Now you know the Hebrew, which means woman of valor, part nurturer, part warrior. And there's a fierceness. Are you getting that today? Does that, I hope you can leave with a little different thought about how fierce this love is that God put into us as women. It's a fierce kind of love, part nurturer, part warrior. But there's a war going on today. I'm going to repeat that to you. There's a war going on today. If you're a Christian or especially if you're in ministry, you're in it. Do you want to win it? Do you want to win it? The best way to avoid a battle or at least to win the battle is to prepare for it. So think for a minute about what hinders you from being prepared for battle. Let's just say that we all agree we're in a war. 
and we all agree we're in it. And we've probably felt it. And Beth, where are you? There you are. You were saying earlier, everybody's going through something. You know, I'd almost feel like saying if you're not going through something in this room, stand up. But I don't want to embarrass anybody because then I would have to say, leave the room. (laughs) You don't need this. (laughs) But I think if you live on the planet, we're all going through something. And I think in some way, it's better to just go ahead and call it what it is. And if we approach it first as a spiritual battle, I think a lot of times stuff that we think is just flesh and blood and normal people and irritating circumstances, if we could step back, we'd probably see... There's a spiritual battle. And I didn't make that up. That's right out of Ephesians 6. But given that fact, let's just reflect a minute on what gets in the way sometimes. And sometimes it's nothing really evil, evil. Sometimes it's just busyness or a sense of overwhelm. I mean, sometimes it's awful stuff. You know, it can be sin or addiction or, you know, stuff that we know better. But sometimes it's just, you know, getting too many things going on and being scattered. And I heard a quote the other day from a book about the Delta Forces, which I think they were the special the army rangers maybe. And the guy said this, he said, a distracted soldier is a dead soldier. A distracted soldier is a dead soldier. That thought came alive for me when I was driving from Charlotte, where I live now to Atlanta on the freeway. And I think I got distracted for a minute and I kind of, I was looking at something on the side of the road that was quite interesting. And I veered over and thankfully the guy behind me tooted. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, like what in the heck was I thinking? You know, it was an interesting billboard and I wanted to see what it was. But I thought, man, it's important when you're driving. Of course, I should know better. It's important to stay alert. It's important when you're a lady following Jesus to stay alert, isn't it? What does 1 Peter 4, 7 tell us? Be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray. Do you ever think about you actually need to be self-controlled and alert to pray? It's not just la, 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 la. I mean, God wants us to be self-controlled and alert so we can pray. Sounds like a soldier, doesn't it? Okay, so you can think about all the things that hinder you, but I'm going to leave you with three thoughts about ways to prepare for war. First one, and it's going to sound like 101, but ladies, I find in ministry people ignore all three of these. They're the worst. People in ministry sometimes are the worst offenders when it comes to ignoring the fundamentals. When my husband, who played basketball, would go back to the University of North Carolina and watch Dean Smith's practice, every time, I don't care if it was 20 years later, he would sit the guys down at the first practice, pick up a basketball, and say, gentlemen, this is a basketball. I want to say to you, ladies, this is a Bible. Lest we forget... This is the sword of the spirit. This is the word of God. People in ministry, I find, often are the worst about taking that seriously. Like, what are we thinking? I'm putting myself in that category. So just remember, this is number one, to abide in Christ. You have got to abide in Christ. We need to do it anyway just because we call ourselves believers. But when we're in ministry, it can be life or death. It's the difference between being alert and not. It's the difference in me rolling over into the wrong lane and getting smashed to pieces by a car. That could have been fatal. What a sad way to lose their mama and grandmama, you know, for my kiddos. So abide, and, you know, there are a lot of things that go with abiding. You know the verse probably pretty well. Um, because it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it'll be done for you. John 15, seven, but I want to add this. If you abide daily in the light, you know, when things are going pretty well, there's a pretty good chance you'll be able to endure when it's dark. 
That is part of that preparation. I don't know what it means for you. For me, it's like I don't take on my day till I run or walk or do something to get my body moving, have my coffee and pray. I said, don't take on my day till I run, have my coffee and pray. I just know that if I don't suit up and I'm trying to do this every day because y'all, I can fall and I might not go fall into adultery. I mean, after 41 years, I think I know better, you know, but I can fall into worry or fear or anxiety or bitterness. I mean, there's a whole list of stuff that anybody can fall into. So we need to be humble and realize that all of us need to obey. I will say this. One of the most important tasks you have on planet earth is training your heart to hear God's voice. Or is Proverbs, there's a message Bible version of Proverbs 4.20 that I love. This is Proverbs 4.20, the message. Tune your ears to my voice. How awesome is that? Tune your ears to my voice. Secondly, find your teammates. Make sure you have some really good fellow warrior teammates. Um, there's a little group of school children, I think a school in Texas, who were having a problem in their school with bullying. And the kids came up with this idea. I think they were fifth graders. And when somebody was getting bullied, the whole group would go and stand around them, and they called it a swarm. Don't you love that? So maybe I should say, find your swarm. And instead of the bully being bold and brazen and brutal, at that point, the bully kind of got scared of the swarm and just quietly walked away. That's a pretty awesome way to do it. I think the Lord knows that, w- that this world is swarming with evil. I mean, in the unseen realm. And that's why when he tells us in Matthew 18, 19, and 20, when two of you agree in prayer together, not only does he say, I'll do it, but he also says, I'm there with you. And it says in in the word in the Greek, which is the New Testament language for agree, you're going to love this. The word for agree, agree in prayer is symphone, S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-E. It means with one voice. And it's obviously the word from which we get symphony. How awesome is that? So find your swarm. And remember past victories. I think this is the one that probably most of us overlook. I was going through something the other day, and and I just got hit with an attack of fear. I'm a built-in worry wart. Is anybody else a worrier by nature? I think it's my genetics. I'm going to blame it on that. But, I mean, you know, i got to blame it on something. Well, that that does go back to the fall, right? I blame it on Eve. But, (laughs) But there's a tendency... I just, I tell my husband, I've just got this overactive and wonderful imagination. And sometimes it drifts off into worry and fear. But I really think that one of the best ways to fight these enemies that come our way is to do what the Bible says, remember past victories. Samuel, as I said earlier, and I'm going to close with this one. Samuel is the one after Deborah, the only other judge that we know that was called judge and what? Prophet which means he was the voice for God. He was like the audio receiver hearing God's voice and then speaking it out to the people, right? So wouldn't you know that the Israelites had slipped into sin again about 20 years of following this time? It was the Philistines. And I don't know how Samuel put up with them, but he did. And finally, when they were ready, they came to him and said, we are tired of following idols and getting our, you know what, kicked. So would you please pray for us, which he did. He said, finally, like a good parent, almost like, well, finally, finally you're asking. So he starts praying for them, at which point, and this often happens when we get serious about doing business with God, the enemy comes on, right? And it says that the Philistines saw them in prayer and in worship. And instead of running the other way at first, they came close to try to defeat them. And you know what the Israelites said? And this is how we knew they were serious. They told Samuel, don't stop praying. 
keep praying, keep praying. We don't care. Keep praying, keep praying, keep, keep on praying. And so he kept on praying and they kept on worshiping and they won. I mean, they won. They totally defeated the Philistines. So after that, Samuel, knowing how brain dead we can all be, and we should put ourselves in that category, he said, lest you forget, 1 Samuel 7, 12, I'm going to put up a big stone to remind you of God's victory. The stone was called an Ebenezer stone. Now, do you notice a funny little word in there? Ezer, right? Eben, Eben is Hebrew for rock. Ezer, as we already know, because of your wonderful Bible teacher up here, (laughs) rock of support. He said, this is going to be our rock of support, our memory rock, to show us that this, thus far, the Lord has helped us. And he always wanted him to go back and look at that rock. And if we fall into fear or anxiety or worry, and we're wondering if God can come through for us, we need to have our own Ebenezer's, don't we? Do you have any Ebenezer's in your life? Any little relics? Well, I started getting some that were really important to me. And so what I did is I made a little box and I called it my Ebenezer box. And so when I got an answer to a prayer, I would just toss it in there. And my granddaughter was over at the house a few months ago and she was like, Mare Mare, they call me Mare Mare. And she said, she's eight, Mare Mare, what is that box? And so I told her a little bit about it. And I told her what Ebenezer's were. And here's some of the answers. Like, here's the page out of my journal when I couldn't have babies. And then we got healed. And that's how your mommy got here. And she thought that was awesome. There were lots of stories in there. But after our day looking through the box, I thought, the Ebenezer box is a great way not to just collect your own memories of God's victories, but to share them with your children. And with your grandchildren, the next generation. So I got her her own little Ebenezer box. And now she puts her little answered prayers in there. Isn't that sweet? And, and I have a couple of middle school friends that actually made their own box out of shoe boxes. And now they're creating their own little Ebenezer boxes. So I would just encourage you, when you think about how to prepare for war, just remember these three simple things. Abide in Christ. Whatever that looks like for you. Remember mine is don't evaluate my day till I run and have my coffee and pray. For you, it might look look a little different. Secondly, find your swarm. Raise your hand if you're going to go back and find some ladies to pray with. Like, maybe you're already doing that. We'll even be more serious about it. Like, let's get serious about this stuff. It's time to win our battles. And third, remember past victories so that you can pass those on. Not only strengthen yourself, but pass those on to the next generation. One of our most important tasks, I think, on the planet is to spread this fame of how awesome our God is to our children, our grandchildren, and the world around us. I'm going to close with this. As I said, and I keep telling you this, and I really mean it, y'all are incredibly beautiful here today. I noticed that when I was kind of wandering around, and I just could see the light in your faces. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 actually tells us that we become beautiful when we serve, right? When we're serving God. The, it's, the message Bible says it this way, and I want to leave you with this one thought. I want you to really reflect on this as you leave today. It says, do something beautiful for God and become beautiful doing it. Do something beautiful for God and become beautiful doing it. And then you can add my little PS that I've noticed. I never see women more beautiful than when they're being brave. And what is it again that makes us brave? It's love. Let's close in prayer. Father God, what an amazing group here today. I truly believe that as they leave these doors, the world would be different. 
They're already beautiful, and they're already doing something beautiful for you. But I just pray that today, after your precious and holy word and this understanding of women of valor, that they will realize that they are women of valor. They're already in the war, and they know it. They're already in the war. They're in it. But because of what you're going to teach them, they're going to win it. And I just thank you for the privilege of joining hands with this army of women. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Thank you all. Great message from Marilyn Chadwick, co-founder and speaker of Women Under Construction at the 2019 Women in Ministry. It was at the Crown Plaza Ravinia. What an event. Looking ahead next year, 2020, can you believe it? The 2020 Women in Ministry, and we'll give you all the details uh, soon. Keep checking faithtalkatlanta.com. I'll go ahead and tell you that next year's keynote speaker will be Colleen Swindoll Thompson. She is a riot. You're going to love every single second of it. So keep checking faithtalkatlanta.com and uh, be sure to get your tickets. Thank you and God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.